Welcome to the very first episode of The Dine One Six, a food podcast about Sacramento. My name is Max Connor, and on this show, I'll take you behind the scenes to tell the stories of how your food gets from farm to fork. I've got a lot of great interviews lined up with well-known chefs in town, brewers, bakers, journalists, restaurant owners, farmers, and together we'll explore what the Sacramento Valley has to offer us all with its amazing food and culture. I'll also talk with people about how food plays into history, family dynamics, and how the huge cultural diversity we have here in Sacramento enriches the food scene. But I wanted to launch this show by talking about baking because that's my personal love when it comes to cooking at home. I love to cook, but I love to bake even more. I think it probably stems from when I was about eight or nine years old, and I did something really dumb, like many eight or nine-year-old boys will want to do, and I decided it would be a good idea to dive headfirst into my hot tub, which, as most hot tubs, was about three feet deep, and so I hit the bottom with my face and split my chin open. And my parents took me across the street to where Dr. Brum lived, He was a family physician, and he checked me out, said I didn't need stitches, and slapped a butterfly bandage on there and sent me back home. But several hours later, he showed up that evening, and he had a fresh, homemade banana cream pie. And it was phenomenal. And that was my first experience with someone bringing you a baked good as just an act of kindness and generosity or to make you feel better. And that forever changed my food world. I grew up in a household where my parents both cooked. We had home-cooked meals almost every night, and the food I had growing up was amazing. But something about that baked good from somebody else, from a neighbor, there was just something really special about how that made me feel. So my guest today is Andy Baranoff. Andy bakes bread. That is both literally what he does, and it's the name of his Instagram-based bread business. Each week, Andy bakes upwards of 160 loaves of bread in a bakery he built in his laundry room, and he pumps out the smell of fresh sourdough into his Southland Park neighborhood every week. Andy got his start in food the best way possible, and that was by baking all sorts of things with his grandmother in the kitchen. I've had the pleasure of eating his bread, and it's beautiful and flavorful and just amazing. So with that, I bring you my conversation with Andy Barnoff of Andy Bakes Bread. Andy, thanks so much for coming to the studio. Oh, thanks for asking me. I'm excited to be here. Thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. So usually the first question I'll start with is just kind of because so much of our relationship to food often ties back to our childhood. So I'm always curious for people, what sort of role food played for you growing up? Was it something that was important in your household or not so much? Oh, it's really important. Um, Both my parents worked, and so my my grandmother watched myself and my brother. My brother's five years older than me, so he was kind of more independent, but I was a little kid. Everything was was made by my grandma. She made bread. She made biscuits. She made pitorsky. She made, you know, the background is Russian, so a lot of Russian ethnic foods, you know, a lot of like um, enriched doughs and as well as flaky doughs or short doughs. So we learned the whole gamut. It was it was funny. As a kid, you don't really think about it. It's just kind of something you eat, you know? Right. Even like making donuts. She would make this like, she called it a bombachka, but it was like just basically like a big donut. You fry it up and put simple syrup on or whatever you want on top of it. <laughs> but as a kid, I'm like, that's my grandma's donut. I've never had anything else outside. It's, yeah. So it was sweet, yeah. That's great. Yeah. There's nothing better than a grandma who who bakes and lets you come into the kitchen and 
man. eat and try stuff. Not only that, but I was always the kid that wants to get into things, so it kept me busy. So I was, I was always hands in sticky stuff, kind of working something, you know, together, making either pitamani, which are butt stickers, you know, yeah, and, you know, all kinds of different fillings and whatnot. And she's been letting me be creative with stuff, and I'd be mashing tomatoes together and <laughs> chocolate or whatever. I'm like, but that kept me to the corner. I was busy. So right, yeah, to her, kept, yeah, kept to her you out of trouble from destroying some other room in the house. Truly, yeah, that's great. Uh, my kids love to bake too. That's one of the fun things about liking to bake is. They'll, they'll do some cooking. I mean, I have a seven-year-old and twins that are four. So, mm-hmm. But baking, yeah, it, you know, a lot of just kneading and mixing and yeah. stirring up. And it's going to make a mess even if I make it. So it's sort of it, yeah, it's the best. So how did you get into ba- – obviously, you just kind of mentioned your background. Your grandmother baked a lot. But how did you get into baking professionally or for fun as a hobby and then moving into professionally? I was a bike racer for a long time. Just I raced in California and uh, – Wyoming, Arizona, a few places like that on a team. And I always wanted to be a professional bike racer. My parents thought, no, that's not going to happen, you know. (laughs) So at about the age of 21, they're like, hey, why don't we go to Culinary Academy and see what it's about in San Francisco? So Mm. we toured the facility, and I was like, oh, my God, this is really great. Boom, plans changed. I was like in school in San Francisco for two years and just loved everything about it. Just Everyone there is a nerd. Everyone there loves food. Just I fit right in. So from there, it just developed and got a job in the city. Actually, I was a butcher for a little bit, and then slowly I got into, into, the, into baking. I worked at a hotel, Sofitel. It's just uh, from the uh, old marine world out there by the airport. Oh, wow. Yeah, and, and the breads there were they were really good, but they weren't the breads that I make now. But back then, things seems like bread then was more, it was showy. You know, it was, it was beautiful. It had commercial yeast added to it, so it was very puffy, you know, mm-hmm. bread. So I did, I did breads there. I did pastries there. Then I uh, met my wife at the time, my ex-wife now. We moved to Sacramento, and I got a job at Sterling Hotel back in the 90s. It was a pretty ritzy place, mm-hmm. and so I was the pastry chef there. I did all the wedding cakes and banquet desserts for about 15 years. It was a long wow. time. Yeah. yeah. And after that, I went to Nugget Market. Okay. Yeah. So I started off working in the shop in one of the stores, and then eventually I became the, the person who, oversee, who oversaw all of the production, all the bread making, all the recipes and recipe development. So quickly escalated to that, and I got to go visit Central Milling a few times in Petaluma with classes there. And just slowly started getting more integrated in the sourdough scene and started following people on Instagram and Started making things at home a little bit, but really didn't get into it too much because work took so much out of me. I just couldn't, yeah. couldn't do more bread at home. Right. Nugget eventually went one way, and I went the other way. And I was at home without a job, and my wife's like, why don't you start making bread? And I was like, okay. So I started to. She's a stylist and works at a salon with tons of people. And she's like, just bring it into work. So I started selling 15 loaves, 12 loaves of bread or so a week. And I was like, oh, that's a good idea. And then their friends heard about it. It's just kind of sort of build from there. And just word of mouth. I never had a website. And she's like, build up your Instagram. And we started doing that. And I started doing pop-ups at that point. And pop-ups are great, but you have to pick the places well in advance that you want to be at. So, sure. so 
Allie from Propagate's a great place. She was a pop-up herself at one time, and she has now a, a great shop, and she welcomes people there. And the people that go there, they're just so open to taste and try and sample and word spread like crazy from that spot. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I was baking 30 loaves pretty consistently once or twice a week, and it was just too much for me to make in that little oven that I have at home. So I built a little bakery in my laundry room, took the machines, put them in the garage, and I, I put a, a Bose table down. I put a sink in there, put shelving in there. Um, at that point, we started thinking about how legal is this? And, and I looked into <laughs> Cottage Bakery, which is, which is a thing. So it's, you, you call the city up and they have a, a permit that you can get. They actually come out to your place. They inspect everything. They check to make sure everything is, is safe and sound and happy. And you have to take a few tests along the way. And it's really simple. After that, it just started growing. Like I said, I started this business just before the pandemic. And once the pandemic hit, I became the bread guy. Right, yeah. And I started delivering, only delivering bread. And people loved it because it was handled through Instagram. They would place an order through Instagram, just messaging me what they want. In fact, it's still the same now. I don't have a website. It's all just word of mouth and what they see on Instagram. Yeah. And I just write it down on a piece of paper. Eventually, there's now it's there's two pages of, of, of orders. <laughs> But it was, it was wonderful, and I have this 1965 Bahama Blue Beetle that I drive around, and you can hear it down the street, and there are people like, oh, he's coming with Here bread. Here comes the bread guy, yeah. yeah. And I typically get everything out by between 9 and 10, 30, 11 o'clock, so it's kind of in the morning. That's so kind of nice to get warm, warm bread, because that car is so hot in the summertime. I have all the windows <laughs> open, and these baskets of bread all through the back seat, through the front. I, I took a video once, and it was like, Bread on bread on bread. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it is. Luckily, though, since then, the pandemic's gotten a lot better. People are open to visiting and coming out. And so I've set up uh, tables out in front of my house under my porch. Um, there's three tables, and I usually just lay all my orders out, and I neatly staple all the names to the orders. But, yeah, it's all organized, and people just come right up. And sometimes I get a little nervous because I'm like, oh, they have the bread. Because they're, they're looking, and they're looking, and they're, and they're standing, they're walking back to the other table, and all of a sudden, I hear this, grab, and they walk away. Yeah. Like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's satisfying. So take me back a little bit. You went to culinary school, so, you know, you talked about your grandmother. Were you into food and cooking at home before that at all, or was culinary school just like, oh, yeah, I like, I kind of like food. I like to cook. And then when you got there, you just immediately realized this is where I need to be? I liked to cook because I was, um, I was a bike racer for about five years. I raced on a competitive team on this side of the United States, primarily. It was, I was racing with the pros, not the Tour de France pros, but just the, the hometown pros. Mm-hmm. And so we'd be on the road for uh, a week or two to go into different stage races, and we wouldn't stop off and buy anything. We would just make our own food. We had a camping stove. Okay. So and you had to eat. So you kind of learn how to make a few things. You know, yeah. bur- burritos at first, and eventually you got a little more creative, some, got some oil, some deep frying, chicken going on at another time, you know? And that's how I learned. But what I learned from my grandma early on helped yeah. just the basics. You know, you, figuring out when something was done it was, you know, it was a good start. Yeah. How long did you work at Nugget Market? Oh, it was almost 15 years. Wow. So you got, I mean, between the Sterling Hotel as the pastry chef and Nugget, you've got 30, yeah. 30 years it's, or so under your belt of yeah, baking. It's the only job I've ever had was just, just food. Yeah. yeah. Aside from just racing bikes but that that wasn't really a job that was a dream but <laughs> right yeah sure. yeah for sure food has always been something i've always done and i enjoyed that's great what's the appeal to you now i mean after 
15 years at the hotel and having to make elaborate wedding cakes and a bunch of pastries in the morning? What's the appeal to you? If, if there is more of appeal of just sort of for anyone who hasn't, we'll, we'll link in the show notes to your Instagram and people can check out your bread. It's it's beautiful and it's delicious, but yeah. bread is certainly, there's something Thank you. more humble, but in some ways also like more complicated about a loaf of sourdough than a three-tiered wedding cake. So sure. what's the appeal to you sure, now? you nailed bread? it right there because it's simple ingredients, flour or water, salt. Right there, that 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 is your starter is just that, flour and water. And you build on that and you can start building on flavors or you can just keep it that same way. Um, I think that's why I think I like it because it's real basic, you know, and the pandemic made bread more appealing to people and they tried it at home and some were successful and some were not, you know, but I think everyone still just appreciates a good loaf of bread, you know, especially if it's, if it's warm and they saw it on Instagram, Instagram's a big thing for me because it's the videos, it's the pictures that, you know, come up and they see it. I think the reason why I chose bread was because that it's just so basic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the the cultures that you can cultivate from um, just white flour versus whole wheat flour versus rye flour, everything's a little different. You know, different smell, different look to the to the starter. How it bubbles up? How quickly it bubbles up? At what temperatures it bubbles up? So you can get even nerdier than that. You can actually check the pH on it to see where okay. it's at. So yeah, let's let's talk a little bit more about that. I think even people who cook a lot at home a lot of times get intimidated at the idea of baking or hear a lot baking as a science. And I, I think certainly it is, right? You you kind of have to have the right weights and measures. But from the bit of bread baking I've done, there's also just kind of a feel and experimentation to it. I mean, you can follow the same exact recipe. And like you said, it you start getting into temperatures and the temperature of your house mm-hmm. and where you let it rise and all these different things. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of it is also really becomes about feel. So I wonder for you, you know, how much do you get into the science? And as someone who's baked for 30 years, how much is it just you sort of know what it's supposed to look like, feel like, smell like, that sort of thing? I think it's, it starts off with, even earlier than that, you just start off with commercial yeast. And that's the easiest way to start making bread because it's there's instant dry yeast, which I use. And mm-hmm. it's the one that you add into the flour, which you add water to, and then you have, boom, you have something that's leavened, you know? Yeah. And I do use that for my focaccias. My focaccias aren't naturally leavened. I find that a focaccia that I like to make is, is with yeast just because it's just softer. It's just a softer crumb, and I like it a little bit better. All my sourdoughs are naturally leavened, and I've practiced making some focaccias that were with sourdough, but I'm just not really happy with the outcome of it yet. Yeah. So sticking with that. So I think getting back to the question is I, I think making something with instant yeast and you start, it's the same look, it's the same bubbles, it's the same leavening, you see that, and you can see the same thing with natural starters, except that there's a definite time difference. I mean, right. you can make bread with instant yeast within maybe two, three hours, while something with sourdoughs, you have to build a starter, a levain, whatever you like to call it, you know, that could take a whole day, 48 hours, two days, and then you start fermenting it in tubs, that's a whole day in itself, and then it sits in the refrigerator retarding overnight until you bake it it's another day so three days versus three hours right virtually yeah Yeah. okay let's let's dig in a little bit into yeast for people who you know are listening to this and maybe have hardly baked at all so what's the difference between like you said you have rapid you have instant rapid rise yeast then you have sort of the regular dehydrated yeast Mm -hmm. that you have to usually hydrate in water maybe before you add Mm -hmm. it to the bread Mm -hmm. Um, and then you have starter so 
tell us the difference between the three and talk a little bit about what starters. People may have heard that term yeah. and don't even really know how do I make it or where does that come from or what does that mean? Starters at the top of the list, it's, it's not too difficult to make, but there's there's challenges in that you need to keep ambient room temperature at, say, like 70, 75 degrees right around there. It can be warmer. It can be colder. Your just process will take a lot longer. So if you're at about 70, you have flour and you water together, and you let that sit out in a container covered with cheesecloth, and you let it sit out for maybe a day and start seeing some kind of bubbling going on or even just a, nothing, just a little rise. Sometimes I'll even put tape on the edge of the container just so I can see if there's a differential and rise a little bit. But usually after about 24 hours, I'll, I'll take out half of it and mix in another portion of flour and water into that. And that's a process of five to seven to eight days, depends on where it is. And about sourdough, starters and stuff, they can't be rushed. Like, There's times in a pinch where I'm like, oh my gosh, I've got six tubs that are fermenting at the same time and the seventh tub which is a different mix i usually do four or five different loaves uh, flavors it's slow and so i'll take a heating pad and i'll stick it underneath that one just to make it a little happier because mm-hmm. it depends on sometimes if you have inclusions you didn't heat up the inclusion let's say you put sesame seeds in there or sunflower seeds one little side note everything in my baking it's, it's baker's math everything's percentages okay so flour is considered 100 percent so if I say I add 80% water, that's 80% of the flour. So 10 pounds of flour, 8 pounds of water. So, okay. So sunflower seeds could be 40%. So that's 4 pounds of uh, sunflower seeds. And if they're not at temperature with everything else, I want everything to be at about 70, 80 temperature. And when I first start, it's going to bring the temperature down. It's going to slow down fermentation. So with me, I want to try to get six to seven different tubs to be at the same line. So I want everything to be kind of in the same step. Even though I'm using different flowers, I'm using different ingredients, I time everything when I mix everything just so that everything is in step, you know? So yeah, so starters are tricky for that reason. Depends on what kind of flour you use. Depends on on the time of the season that you want to make this starter. That being said, once you do have your starter made, it's bubbled, it's delicious, it's beautiful, you can put that in a Tupperware and put that in your freezer, and you can freeze it for a month. You know, take it out, let it thaw, and then bring it back to life slowly, the same way that you did when you were making it. So you'll take a sample of that, mix it in with some water, some flour, let it sit out. You'll see it bubble, 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 bubble. Take, take that portion out again, mix it in. You want to see, you want to d- do that enough time so that you develop a ripe starter. Mm-hmm. So you want that thing to be super aromatic, bubbly just just glistening and sometimes if you even shake it you'll see so many air bubbles just just start falling apart it just, it just mm. starts deflating like a like a <laughs> like a seven up you know and you yeah. start you pour it and you start to deflate it's beautiful yeah. yeah and deflates just because there's so much activity in there it's going to pop back up again in the next 15 minutes most likely so right so, okay yeah. and my starters i usually have one starter and if i do a rye bread i'll bake i'll make a separate starter just for that mix but I always start off with just one mother starter. And from there, I just take pieces of it to make another starter here for another starter there. Okay, that was going to be my question. So you yeah. have, like, your mother starter, yeah, and you'll take a little bits of it and then add rye flour if you want to do a rye starter or add wheat. Yeah, super. Like, I've got, honestly, I've, right now, for this weekend, I'll probably do two days baking. I'll probably do about a, a 160 loaves because I have a, a, a separate account that I'm baking bread for on another day. And I have about maybe 500 grams of, of starters sitting in oh, my wow, refrigerator. Oh, wow, that's it. Yeah, and it just builds from there because if it sits in the fridge for, I can only bake once or twice a day, a week, so it'll need mm, usually about two turns. And so I'll mix it once, and it takes 12 hours for it to ferment and get bubbly and beautiful. 
and then I'll take a portion of that and I'll let it ferment for another 12 hours. It's going to get even more fragrant, even more big. Yeah. And, and if I notice that it's still not happy enough, I'll cut it one more time and do a third one. I've seen mistakes made by other bakers where they're just on a timeline and they have to have it done by a certain time. Sure. And if it's flat or it's just listless, it doesn't look very good. The, the crumb is just really tight and not well, well expanded. A lot of times they're just rushed. Yeah. So that's the only thing you have to understand making bread. It's like the wonderful thing about working at home is that I can make this bread, I can mix it. And during the bulk fermentation, I'll go for a bike ride. Right. Yeah, or go shopping, or I'll leave the house to do something, and I come back, and then dun dun dun. I usually pull and stretch. That's a step during the bulk fermentation is pull and stretch the dough just to create more gluten, and see where you're at as well, so you can feel it. Always, always touch, touch it. You know where you're yeah. at, how 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 resilient it is, how thick it is, how much bubbles it has in it. It's it's really easy. That's what's nice about working at home. It's yeah, that's so, great. So lucky about that. Absolutely. So how how does that work a little bit with sourdough? Because I know kind of classic sourdoughs, like you said, there's some pull and stretch, mm-hmm. but compared to, you know, if you're going to make a three hour loaf of just an Italian loaf yeah, or even French down. bread, right? You're, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're spending 10 minutes kneading it, right? Or you're throwing it in your KitchenAid mixer with yeah. a dough hook and kneading yeah. it for eight minutes. So how does the gluten get built up in a sourdough where you don't really spend nearly the same amount of time working it that you do on a, uh, on a kneaded bread? There's a step called autolyse where you just mix the flour and the water together without any le- uh, starter, without any salt, without any inclusions, anything, just, just the flour and the water. And that sits a minimum of an hour, hour and a half. It depends. I mean, if I'm in a hurry, I, I, can, I can expedite that and make it just half an hour, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. But I find the longer it sits, it's actually creating gluten. Gluten's being created just from the combination of, of flour and water without okay. any kind of movement or any sort. But I, initially, I did move it. I made sure that all the flour gets mixed in with all the water. No pockets of flour, because or else you're going to have some bad little pellets of flour that yeah. never got incorporated. But that's your first step. That's creating gluten. The longer and longer it sits there. Because enzymes are being developed there as well and starting to grow. Next... I throw it in, I throw in my starter, and then I mix it for, you know, I don't mix it for a very long time because the flowers that I get from Central Milling, they're, they're top of the line. Like, uh, they're really good flower. And I usually have a combination just for my regular sourdough, um, just like maybe three to four different kinds of flour that I buy from them. So and I usually have about 600, 700 pounds of flour that I buy at one Dang. time. And I usually have a wet starter. It's 100% water to 100% flour. Yeah, And so it's super wet, and, of course, the dough is also moist at this point, too. I mix in the, the levain or the starter into the dough, and salt goes into it. I might mix it for about maybe four minutes. And I'm not looking for a window or anything. How you mm-hmm. see, people say, look, window, window paint, paint test. test. yeah. No, man, I just, I just till it's incorporated, and, and then I stick it into the tubs, and it sits for about three or four hours. Every 45 minutes, I do a stretch and pull where I actually take one side of the tub, I start on one side, and I lift it up maybe three or four feet and stretch it and then bring it down on itself, scoop it up again and all the way up, all the way until I get to the other side of the tub. So the whole thing has gone through a nice stretch and pull. By that point, it's turned into a ball, Mm -hmm. from a puddle to a ball, just from that one step. Then I cover it up and let it sit for another 45 minutes. I might do another one. If the dough has relaxed to a puddle again, I might stretch and fold it again. But 
if it's starting to lift up in the center and the edges are nice and tucked in, there's just enough strength in there. I'm just going to let it ferment until it's ready. Okay, cool. So, so for, if someone wanted to get into baking and they've never baked a loaf of bread, right? They've made cupcakes from a box, but what would you suggest they start? If they don't want to do starter, something with instant yeast, what's like a simple type of bread to look up and give the, a shot for your first loaf? The easiest loaf to make, and it's, it's focaccia. Okay, really? Super easy. Yeah, it's it's really easy. The There's more, a little more ingredients than, say, what I make with bread. The added ingredients would be um, instant yeast, usually olive oil, and flavoring. So Fakasha loves flavor. I Dry flavor the best. So dried garlic works well in there. Dried herbs works well in there. Lately, I've been using um, vegetables. So I'd roast potatoes or squashes, and I would puree them up into the water, and I'd mix that into the mix. And so you'd get like a sweet potato focaccia or butternut squash focaccia, and then you can add thyme to that, pumpkin seeds if you want for the, that one. So it can be real creative. But back to baker's percentages where we talked about flour being 100% and then water and then starter all being a percentage of the total of the flour, mm-hmm. you have to think, so if you're adding a potato product to your focaccia, that's going to have moisture in it. So you're going to have to substitute some of the percentage of water for this potato weight. Right. Not one for one, but it's that's the game. That's the game that you play. It, yeah. It could be 20% or it could be 30%, depending on the product that you're putting in. You kind of, I do a pumpkin sourdough on, on Halloween. It's pretty killer where I add roasted pumpkin puree mm-hmm. to it. And that's there's so much water in pumpkin. That's yeah. almost 50-50 at that point. Okay. Gotcha. So I cut it down. Yeah. And so focaccia, you think as a loaf is maybe because it doesn't need a huge rise or you just kind of m- oh, mix it together. It's not as one of, <laughs> it's not a big spring, right? So it's it's a relatively easy one to make, you feel like? I think I think one of the toughest things about um, making bread, it's not what I've described so far. It's actually shaping it. Sure, yeah. Because that's the thing. You don't want to get a flat piece of bread. Yeah, focaccia shaping is super easy. You, 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 what I do is I, when I make the dough, I mix it. And I do window pane this one because I mix it completely. And then I just t- I put it on a oiled pan and I just plop it down and let it rise. And typically you have two proofs. So the first initial one is just when you mix it and it's proofing. This is your bulk ferment. It's going to rise, 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 rise. And, and then I brush the top. And sometimes I just flip it over because there's so much olive oil on the pan. So I coat the top of it. And I coat my fingers in it, and I poke down, pressing down with the tips of my fingers, penetrating down to the very bottom of the pan. You're punching this down, just like you would if it's in a bowl. Boom. Same effect. You're getting punch. But as I'm punching it down with my fingers, I'm spreading it out in the pan so it gets into the corners and mm-hmm. nooks and crannies. So, and then it's going to proof one more time after that, and then you bake it. You, wow. can, you can top it if you want with cheese, but I don't use any dairy products in my, in my bread at all. Yeah. Just that way, there's less storage, but also it's happy with the vegan folks. Right. Yeah. So, Anybody can eat it. Yeah, but at home, I mean, if we ever make pizzas and stuff, you can put cheese on there if you want or whatever you want. At that point, olive oil is what we like to use at home. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good. I haven't. I've actually never made focaccia. I'm glad so you told me simple. that because I've made so many other breads, and for some reason, I always thought it would be difficult to so do. But simple. it sounds yeah, so really easy. No shaping. It's just, just virtually. Put it in a sheet pan. Yeah, I mix a it up. A pan with a little bit of a lip on it, basically. Yeah, a jelly pan. Yeah. Yeah. it's uh, They have so much flavor. And I like your point because you can, once you can make one, then you can put any, you can put anything in a focaccia. And yeah. the, the one you made, you know, I've gotten your bread a couple times in the last couple months, and 
the one you did last month in January that was, I think, potato, and it was like, I think Yukon gold potato, yeah. but rosemary. <laughs> and I had, the, and when I took a bite of it, that, the bread literally, I told my wife this, and I said, this bread is like a bite of stew <laughs> in a bread, in a mouthful. I was like, I literally, you know, normally it would be good to have bread with stew, but I was like, that's almost what it tasted like. It was so hearty and rich. It was kind of like a pizza. flavorful. It was yeah. Like, it was like all-encompassing all one meal. That, yeah, yeah, it did. It was it was like a meal and a slice of focaccia, <laughs> and it had that homey winter feeling of stew. And my wife tried it, she was like, oh, she was like that's the weirdest description of bread I've Sweet. ever heard. And then it. she had a bite, and she was like, Oh my gosh, this is like stew and a slice of bread. Nice. Really, really good. Yeah, I had a client who actually cut those into little squares and she did a, a Benny. So she toasted, she, she put them on a flat top, heated it up, and put a poached egg on top. Oh, yeah. And just a little bit of some sort of, I mean, like a, like a salsa, I think she made, like a tortilla salsa. Mm-hmm. Some, oh, it looks so good. That sounds amazing. Yeah. I wanted to ask, what's your favorite bread to make? Like, if you're not baking for other people or doing orders, what are you going to make at home? <laughs> Honestly, probably pizza dough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you make I, it with natural starter when you yeah, make pizza dough. Yeah, yeah. Usually I have some starter sitting. I'll just mix it. and I'll have something on the side. You talked a little bit about how your business grew. So originally, when I was going to have you on, I kind of just assumed that it was sort of like a side hustle you were doing, and I wasn't sure if you were Ooh. doing a commercial kitchen or if you had done it in your house. So it's cool that you created the cottage kitchen in the mm-hmm. in the. Uh, you have to go to a laundromat now that you got rid of the washer dryer. Or did you no, move it somewhere else? No, it's in the garage. Else? It's in the okay. garage. Yeah, yeah. Most, most. I don't know. I, I grew up with a washer dryer in the garage, and yeah. so, I mean, at first it was kind of like inconvenient because my wife would have to go outside and it's cold in the garage. But right. It's, it's okay. So it's worth it for it, warm bread. It worked in the out. House. Yeah. 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 Does that room fill up the entire house once a week with just the smell of fresh baked bread? It does, except that. Um, What's nice about the room that I have, I also have a nice vent above my oven. Mm-hmm. So if I turn the vent on and I have a window and I have a door, if I have everything open and I'm venting it, it stays cool. And yeah. most of the air, the, the smells go outside in, in, into the neighborhood. Okay. Can you smell it when you're walking down the street? That, yeah. You if go you, for a walk. People like. have told me they, they can smell it. Yeah. So I can't smell it because I'm like, I'm, I'm in you're it. You're in it time. so much, right? Yeah. Like yeah. I, I mentioned it takes like almost 12 hours to bake all this bread. So, I mean, I'm like, I can't smell anything. Yeah. It's so how long ago did it grow to that point? You sort of mentioned you did the pop-up, then you started selling online through Instagram, and you do 30 or 40, and now you're up to, you mentioned you just got a wholesale account with a new coffee shop that's opening, yeah. or just opened, Drip Coffee. So you're up to about 160 loaves a week. So talk a little bit about the that weekly process of baking 160 loaves of bread in your home bakery. Uh, well, it starts with advertising, hustling. You know, so Monday I usually put out the word that, hey, I'm taking orders. I'm actually taking orders all the time. And people sure. are put, putting in stuff. But sometimes people wait for that start, you know? Like, I'm going to start that day. Well, they, they look for someone to tell them. So the hustle is starts. I post a picture. I usually do a, a TikTok video or something that just looks eye-catching that might catch your attention. I start collecting Monday, Tuesday. By Wednesday evening, I've done i have as many orders as i can that's the cutoff point because that's when i start formulating all my recipes and start building my starters because the starters do take almost 24 hours sometimes more to Mm -hmm. to build and that's where a lot of times people don't understand the process where they're like three days but it is simply three days to make this bread yeah so three days of hustle um that wednesday i start building the starters and start coming up with the different um, ingredients. So if I do sprouted grain, I have to start sprouting the grain actually on Tuesday, predicting how much I'm going to sell those. Sometimes I do toasted flour, so I start toasting the different flours or grains that I want to use in my mixes. 
roasting the vegetables for, for the different ingredients that I want to put in, caramelizing onions. Man, I did a focaccia once and I had to caramelize 20 pounds of onions. Oh, man. It was, it, was, it was crazy. But that's for the whole month. So once all that's figured out, the Thursday is when I actually start mixing everything and I start producing the doughs. That takes about eight, nine hours to, to actually mix everything. And then once everything's into little proofing baskets, I have these baskets that I put every loaf into, I have nearly 100, 110 of those. Uh, I put those into the refrigerator that's in my garage. It's a double door refrigerator that holds all these breads. And I bring the temperature down usually till about 35, 38, because if it's above that 40, 42, it's going to keep growing. But if you put in 40 or 110 loaves, whatever, a bread into a refrigerator, that temperature rises so quickly. So I had to get this refrigerator that has these two blast chillers, like the temperature drops down quickly. Oh, right, right. So yeah. That's a problem too with sourdoughs. Like if you can't control the temperature, it's going to grow and you have to bake it within a couple hours versus, you know, 12 hours. The benefit of 12 hours fermentation is the flavor that develops yeah. slowly. So, yeah. All right, so you've gotten it fermented in the fridge. It's gone 12 hours, and then you've got to, you've got to bake 140, 160 yeah. loaves. Yeah, so I usually do about 110 loaves of sourdough, and then the rest are focaccias and pans. And so I usually do about, depending on the orders, like 30 or something of those. So it could be more or less. But pans are so easy to bake because I mix, mix focaccia literally that night while sourdough is baking. So, yeah, everything bakes. Let's see, I can bake 12 loaves of bread within about – it's – it's 45 minutes, those go out, and then I have to reheat the oven back up again. The oven bakes at about 500 degrees. Okay. So, But it's such a small oven, and it's a hearth stone, so I've got about two inches of stone on the bottom. Oh, wow. For the oven spring, for the heat. So once, I again, I load that oven up, I have to bring the temperature to 500 degrees, and then I drop it back down to about 200 or so. For, oh, really? Yeah, because with breads, if you bake them at high heat the whole time, you're going to start coloring the outside. Now, if you color the outside, that's great. But if you do it prematurely, you're not going to let that bread expand. And that steam in the oven enables the soft dough to expand. But mm-hmm. if you create a crust through heat, it's going to be like this. It's not going to want to expand. Got it. And it might even pop one side and look ugly. The, the score you put in the bread is just that so that it opens up, and that's where all the pressure's leave the bread. If you shaped it correctly, that's the problem about shaping bread. You want to shape it into a loaf and you want to shape it tight and seal the bottom, not too tight that you pop the bubbles inside that you've created through bulk fermentation, but you want to do enough that when the next day you bake it, it opens up yeah, up and not too much out. Got it. So yeah, it's, it's fun. I dig it. <laughs> and, but yeah, it takes about 12 hours of baking. And then I package everything in bags and labels and I put them out on the front and then I have subscription clients that buy bread monthly. It's just one flat rate. They get four breads or eight breads, depending on how many they want. I deliver to those those people. Okay, cool. Yeah, in the in the old Volkswagen. Yeah, yeah. It's actually in the shop now. <laughs> it's um, it's getting a, a a bigger motor and it's a shop combi house that's near me. They're putting in this two liter monster in it. Oh, nice. Yeah, and lowering the front end a little bit. Well, I grew up with Volkswagen since I was like seventeen, so I've yeah. always had my cars, and so I'm building a little sleeper. That's so fun. it's going to be a little little faster to deliver these things. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like became a pretty, you know, good-sized home business pretty fast. What was the decision like to decide, okay, if I'm going to do this, I've got to clear out the laundry room. I've got, you know, the amount of equipment you had to put into your house and permits is, you know, yeah, yeah. not no small investment to decide, hey, I'm going to sell bread on Instagram. Have oh. you made back that investment 
yet or is it yeah, you know getting what? close? How's, how's that aspect of it as a business that's, going? That's interesting. I never thought about that. <laughs> you know how it's kind of like a, a hobby of yours where you don't really count the pennies because you're just like, oh, shit, do I really want to know? <laughs> you know, that's yeah. that's where that's kind of where I'm at. But, yeah, it it was really hard to find um, the oven. It was hard to find the proofing baskets because everybody wanted to bake during this time. Right. The oven, when I ordered it, was back-ordered for six months, and now it's back-ordered for almost a year. And the proofing baskets that were $12 a piece now are almost $25, $27 a piece. There's just everybody's baking bread right now. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't want to talk about the money part of it. Sure, it's, yeah. My, my wife would be like, yeah, what's going on? <laughs> no, she's so supportive. So what time do you get up to bake for 12 hours? Do you oh. bake... Is yeah. it you bake like through the night essentially on yeah. on Friday? Yeah, I usually don't sleep. So I mean, I Friday night have dinner with everybody and watch TV whatnot until about nine. I try to sleep for a couple hours and then I start baking at eleven. Oh wow! So yeah. eleven till the morning. Eleven till about ten. Dang. Yeah, depends. I mean, it's it's I can't say no to orders. You know, it's like I'm, it's just money. It's yeah. Just, and then it's my passion too. It's like right. they're like usually, literally, I get like twenty percent new clients, and they're like so amped on it, and they're so like so nice. They're like, oh, I just heard about you and this and that. I'm like, sweet, can't wait for you to try my bread. Yeah, it, so. it's really good. I mean, you count me in as a, like I said, I've ordered a couple times the last Thank two you. months, and it's thanks. It's, it's really really amazing. So I like to ask the same four food related rapid fire questions at the end of every interview. So we'll run through those. What's your favorite cheap guilty pleasure when it comes to food? What's oh. the thing you're almost embarrassed to tell people you enjoy eating? I don't know if it's embarrassing, but I <laughs> really like fried chicken. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, like South's fried chicken's amazing. Bach, their fried sa- sa- chicken sandwich is so good. Yeah. And that's something I would make fried chicken at home. Yeah. It's too messy. It is really messy. But yeah. It's so good when you have it. It is. It is. And it's, you know, I mean, I've made some good fried chicken, but it's, yeah, for the amount of cleanup versus how good uh, Petey's Bucket is at South is mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not comparable. Mm-hmm. So And you can't eat it all the time. It's something right. that you yeah. sparingly, but it's so good. Worth it. Yeah. Worth it. Yeah. Um, on the flip side, what's your favorite thing to eat if money's no object? What are you going to go spend a bunch of money on if you I really mean, want? I if mean, if I can possibly go to restaurants and eat, you know, Michelin star restaurants or James Beard Award recipient chefs and be able to eat their food, I'd, I'd do that. Oh, chef's tasting menus are so good. Yeah. Like Localis, I can't wait to go go try their fare. I've been wanting to go there for a long time. But um, if I were to buy something at a market, it'd have to be dry-aged prime beef. Mm. And it doesn't matter what it is. New York, ribeye, just, oh, it's so good. Yeah. Yeah, pan, like cast iron pan, butter, just sear the hell out of one side. <laughs> out in the barbecue where it's really hot, you uh-huh. know? Uh-huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just the pan on the barbecue, get it smoking hot. That's right. Oh, it's so good. Oh, man, that sounds good. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite thing to cook at home besides bread? If you're going to cook dinner or breakfast, what's your favorite thing to cook? My comfort meal is um, salmon. Okay. Yeah, barbecue, I mean, grilled or, or seared, uh, usually... Pick it up at Otto's Market and uh, sticky rice, white sticky rice steamed and green beans with some uh, green onions chopped up inside there, some mushrooms, and maybe top the fish with either molasses or some sweet soy sauce just a little bit. Okay. That's like my always That's your like, go-to. Go-to, yeah. And it, we don't have that often, but it's kind of like our comfort food. If, if we're like nursing something or just kind of feelings or something, you need something that looks like my bowl of porridge. You know? Okay. Yeah. 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 Good. 
And if you could go back in time to your childhood, you know, back in the kitchen with your grandma, what's what's the one thing you'd want to go back and eat? All right, this is this is definitely awesome. This is called a, a tfarog, where she would take a, a really soft yeasted dough. It's probably you know, you had some butter in it, some eggs in it, but it wasn't too yellow. And she'd put that in a jelly pan on the bottom, uh, raw, not baked. As that's proofing up, she's actually soaking cellophane noodles so they're nice and soft, sauteing some onions, caramelizing them with a bit of thyme and a little bit of garlic, mixing that into the cellophane noodles and warming them up slightly by that, and then putting that on top of the dough. And then she gets salmon and she cuts it, mm, she used to cut it, thin, maybe about uh, three quarters of an inch thick, and then just laying that on top of the cellophane noodles, and then put a little bit more cellophane noodles that are soaked. They're all soft, everything nice and soft on top of that. And then brushing that with butter, and then packing panko crumbs on top of that. And then more butter, and then more panko. Now the (laughs) trick is to bake this so that the salmon's done, and everything's steaming, the cellophane noodles are steaming, and they're nice and hot. And then when you cut the top, the panko creates almost like a dough like a, it's like, a, oh, like, wow. like a little crumble and it's not like it's like loose or anything it kind of holds together so you can cut a nice square of that oh man that is that good and the dough on the bottom nice and caramelized on the bottom it's so good man. is that something you ever make yourself at home I or have, have attempted i have not i have not made it it's been such a long time i've had that oh man yeah that i don't i don't good. bake too much too much of the stuff that i made as a kid for some reason i just there's definitely if i try making the salmon one there's going to be times where it's not going to turn out. And I just, uh, it's yeah. Gonna, uh, you know what? You just leave it in the memory. Right? I just I have to, that yeah. stuff when you try to make it later in life that mom made it, it's yeah. never the same. Yeah. I hope to, yeah, someday. <laughs> it's, it's not, I don't know. I'll have to give it a try. Well, Andy, thank you so much for coming on the Dine One Six. It was really a pleasure to have you here. Oh, thank you for inviting me again. I had such a good time. Thanks for listening to the very first episode of The Dine One Six. If you like the show, please like or subscribe wherever you're listening. In Apple Podcasts, hit that little plus sign in the upper right corner. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram. Both handles are at Dine One Six. There you'll find updates on the show and photos of our guests. And I'll also start tossing up recipes for you to try and photos of some of my own home creations. You can also reach out to me via email at max at dine16.com. And this isn't just my show, it's yours as well. So if you have suggestions or comments or guests you'd like to hear from, or you want me to investigate something food related in Sacramento, drop me a line. I'd love to hear from you. Best of all, Andy very graciously gave me his recipe for focaccia bread to share with you. And you can find a link to that recipe on our website in the show notes. To order some of Andy's bread for pickup, go to the link in the show notes for his Instagram page and send him a direct message. Our music is by my brother-in-law, Mark Owens. Listen to a new episode next Friday. And until then, eat something you love with someone you love.